Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. And yes, it is fun that summer is starting. I love the summer, even when it got to 96 degrees yesterday, which was insane. I drive a black car that just absorbs the sunlight. Oh, so hot. Um, but it is fun to be in, going here in the summer, and I am looking forward to that volunteer uh, uh, celebration. I love Cindy's little shameless uh, bribe tactic. I love it. We're, let's do it. Yeah, get on a team so you can come with us. The more the better. If we have to get two buses, let's get two buses. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, you have them open up to Psalm 23. I'm David, pastor here at Current. It doesn't get any better than the psalm that was just read. It doesn't get any more famous. Psalm 23. Chances are, even if you haven't really read the Bible all that much, you've heard these verses. Maybe even in a movie. Maybe James Earl Jones' voice, you know. Yea, though I walk through the valley. I'm not going to try to do James Earl, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's the old, old King James Version. Um, there's a reason it's so famous. It's obviously so eloquently put, but it's so incredibly helpful. I mean, this psalm has been memorized by countless people, uh, said and, and memorized and, uh, from, 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 the, from the very get-go um, of, of the Scriptures. Um, it, it's so incredibly helpful. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we started this whole series in the Psalms that we're looking at over, over the summer months. And we looked at Psalm 1, of course, and that psalm, as it set up the whole series, as it set up, sets up the book of Psalms, is uh, talked about delighting in God's Word, meditating on His Word, and if we do that, the promises will become like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season. And we talked about kind of this idea of meditating, this practice of memorization has, has been sort of a lost uh, uh, art in our, in our times. It's not really something we do all that often, even people who really value Scripture say. Um, but I'll say, if, if you're going to take up the challenge that I said that day, if, if you're going to memorize any song, if you're going to memorize anything in the Bible, dare I say, uh, this is the place to start. Psalm 23, right here. It's, it's so good, and people have been, been, been looking at it for, for so many years uh, and so many have been doing it for, for, for good reason. You can't plumb to its depths. I mean, in fact, there's volumes and volumes of books written about this psalm alone. Not the whole book of just this psalm alone, um, which means, of course, today, for our purposes, we can't touch all of it. Um, actually, just full disclosure, I started studying. We're, we're probably going to get about the first four verses. Um, we can't get to all of it. But even the little bit that we can get to is food for the soul. And that's our series, uh, Seasons of the Soul. The way we've been thinking about it is just like there are different seasons in a, in a, in a year, uh, there are different seasons of the soul, aren't there? Seasons of newness, life, laughter, hope, but as well as seasons that feel a little bit dark, a little bit more dreary. And the beauty of this psalm, this psalm of psalms, if I can call it that, is it helps us face anything that's going to come at us in life. We talked about that a little bit in Psalm 1, but if there's one that really gets at whatever, if you're experiencing joys, happiness, this psalm is incredibly beautiful and helpful. If you're experiencing, yea, though I walk through the valley of the dark, uh, uh, of the shadow of death, this will help you. Um, so the question then becomes how, and, and we're going to look at that. We're going to unpack that today. Um, first, I want to talk about the metaphor. Since Cindy prayed for us, we'll go ahead and just dive right in. The metaphor of the Lord being our shepherd. Now, again, if you didn't grow up in church, uh, chances are you're probably familiar with the concept of, the, of, of shepherd, the metaphor of shepherd in the Bible. For instance, the Christmas story has shepherds and the nativity scene and all that sort of thing. We think the Lord, our shepherd, okay, that's, that's kind of a familiar thought. But we need to actually pause and realize 
or consider how remarkable of a thought it is that God takes on this title for himself, being shepherd. He is our shepherd. Why would he take this role on himself? Uh, as a staff, we just so happen to be reading a book right now called uh, Lead as a Shepherd by Larry Osborne. And a number of his thoughts and insights I'm actually gleaning for us today. But one of the things he says early on is, for him, and I resonate with this, is the idea of, of shepherd. Yeah, that makes sense. It's very familiar. But we, stop, we, can't, we need to stop and realize shepherds were social outcasts back in the day. Um, I was actually reading another source that was saying how uh, early rabbis actually looked at the, the, the job of a shepherd with, with contempt. They thought it was just a, the lowliest of all positions. It was a dirty, boring job, and uh, it, was, it was so much so that, only the, that the job was often given to the least distinguished, the youngest son of a family back then. So why would God take on this title for himself, especially given what we talked about last week in Psalm 8, this maker of the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars? Why would he take on this title, this metaphor of shepherd? And, of course, it's in the meaning behind it. Um, for, the, for although society didn't think highly of the role, the role of, shepherd in the, uh, the role of shepherd in the life of the sheep was one of real personal intimacy. The shepherd knows each sheep name by name. Each of these foolish, sluggish creatures, if you know anything about sheep, they get lost at the drop of a hat and cannot find their way back. Uh, watches over them, cares for them, uh, preserves them. Um, this is who God is to us. This is who God is for us. It's such a beautiful thought, and, and we'll look at the first few verses. So uh, uh, looking at verses 2 and 3, here's a high-level point to kind of hang our thoughts on today. The Lord, as our shepherd, does, does what is best for us, whether we like it or not. As a shepherd, he, he does what is best for us, whether we like it or not. Listen to these verses. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. God does what is best for us, whether we like it or not. I have, this is a, a, a psalm that I memorized when I was a real little guy. Again, I encourage you to, at, a, at the ROI on terms of like gleaning from it is just so, so immense. But I've always thought about these verses, and I've always thought about green pastures, quiet waters. Sounds like a great barbecue in summertime. If you know David, that's about right. Like, you know, you have nice barbecue going. You're frolicking in the, in the, in the grass. You're splashing around waters. We, we, we did uh, water balloons yesterday. Our kids, the first time, it was pretty, pretty fun. Um, I, that's what I've always been thought about when I've kind of meditated on this and understood what it's saying. But I've never really pondered uh, so thoroughly the words, makes me. The word makes me. Uh, because they're rather important. They imply res resistance. Uh, we don't make our kids do something they want to do. We make our kids do something they don't want to do. Um, and I don't think many of us uh, who are followers of his especially, uh, that this would come as much of a surprise to us because sometimes God makes us lie down in green pastures. He has to make us do it. Uh, perhaps you found yourself stuck in a situation you didn't want to be in and you wondered, why, wondered what God was up to. Maybe it was f with feelings of frustration, resentment, and anger. But years later, you look back and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, that's exactly where I needed to be. Uh, he makes us lie down in green pastures. Uh, you know, if you think about it in terms of uh, my son, I was going over a sermon, and he gave me this wonderful illustration. Caleb is learning as a six-year-old uh, piano. And, uh, you know, piano takes a lot of practicing. It takes a lot of repetition work. You have to sit down and do things over and over again to build muscle memory. Cindy, Cindy literally has to make him 
sit down and play the piano until he masters the phrase or whatever it might be, until he gets it. And, and, and I, can I just say, as a third-party uh, observer, there's a lot of moments of real frustration in this process. But the amazing thing is, when he gets it down, though, when he gets that little phrase or that little piece or whatever it is he's practicing, when he gets it down, that is then his favorite thing to play. And it's as if he'd, like, the, the frustration is all gone and he's got it all worked out. Um, our lives are a bit like this, isn't, aren't they, at kind of the more macro, uh, less obvious uh, uh, sense? Uh, maybe it's a situation of bad health, and you wonder why you're going through that, why you have that. Uh, maybe someone you, uh, maybe you're going through something incredibly frustrating in, in the workplace. Someone you're working with is really unreasonable, making your life incredibly difficult, and you're, you're on LinkedIn at night trying to figure out an escape route. Um, but for whatever reason, God just keeps leading you further and further into it, giving you more stake in the situation, bringing more people to talk to you. You're being led through a, a really terrible, hard situation. Can you, can you trust that the Lord has your good in it? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Can you, can I claim that, even if we can't see it right now? Uh, for a good shepherd doesn't take a pull uh, from, from the sheep to see where they want to go. The, a good shepherd knows where the sheep need to go and leads them there. Um, and you know what? God will often lead us into places not terribly concerned, not terribly ruffled by how we think or feel about Him in the process. If it's for our good, He'll go ahead and do it, kicking and screaming and all, or to use the sheep illustration, biting and, and trying to kick Him. Um, he will lead us there even if we'll kind of throw up our fists at him, which, praise God, that he will. It's for our good. Uh, Modern-day shepherds do this for their flock when there's an outbreak of lice. I don't know if you, you know how this works, but whenever there's an outbreak of, of lice uh, among a flock, uh, each lamb has to be plunged into a, cl- a chemical cleansing solution. And by plunging, we're talking plunging. They have, they, they're all, each, each member of the flock led up this ramp and into this contraption. I was watching it on YouTube and they're, they're literally thrown into what's called a dip that's a 30-foot, at least long, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, just kind of little well that they have to swim through in this, in this solution. It's about the width of each lamb, and it's, about, it's deep enough that they, they, can't, they have to swim, that they will be submerged. They jump in, and then you know, uh, they, are, they have to swim a certain uh, distance before the shepherd then has to forcibly push them back and down under the water, fully submerging them. And they have to do that two times. And actually, in the video I was watching, they're like, and the initial like, push from the machine that puts them into this thing that they have to swim through doesn't count as the first dip. Because they're trying to save their life and not fully get dipped, so the shepherd has to let them push them a little bit. Think about that for a second. Sheep and the, the, the relationship of a sheep and shepherd is one of, incre- of, an, of an incredible emotional bond, right? Incredible emotional bond. And these things are swimming for their life. They see their shepherd, and the shepherd has to forcibly push them back under the water. That sheep is never going to understand why that shepherd did that. Which, boy, that gives me a lot of perspective when I'm going through some stuff. That, that sheep will never understand why that was going, why I was going, but, but, but of course the shepherd is doing it for their good. Um, here's another thought if we really embrace this metaphor, which I, which I think is here, is, and there's really no way for the shepherd to explain what he just did for the sheep. Uh, they'll, they'll remain... Uh, in, the, in a place where they don't understand. 
Um, which means though we may not understand why God is leading us, uh, why or how He's leading us, we know that He is leading us for our good even when we don't understand it, even when we might be kicking and biting along the way. This is worth thinking about practically, pausing for a moment. I mean, do you ever get mad or frustrated about things in life? And maybe directly or indirectly have that anger towards God? I mean, I, I like to use the word indirectly because I've experienced any number of times in life where I'm frustrated, I'm really like you know, angry, <laughs> bitter, resentful. And though I'd never with my lips articulated or my mind, you know, go there, I'm only fooling myself in that I actually am a little upset with God. If He is in control of things, if He is leading things, why is He leading me in this way? Why? Um, but what the psalmist is telling is if we, even, our feelings can get in the way. We, not, we might not be seeing things, and He might be doing the very thing that we need. He is doing the very thing to lead us ultimately to the place where there's green pastures, there's quiet waters. The best example I can think of is, there's, there's no doubt better examples, so this example is what it is, is puppy love. Did you ever experience, or maybe a friend of yours experienced a crush when you were real young, maybe you were at first love, you had it and you lost it, okay, your friend had it and lost it, and, you, and, and this friend was just crushed, right? Life was ending, like the world just, it, it just all was crumbling down, and what did you as, as their friend family member, go up to him and, and say to them, like, hey, I love you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And what did your friend say to you? No, it's not. Are you kidding me? In the whole deal, like, it's going to be okay. I mean, I just feel like there's so many things where our feelings can get in the way, and we might not see what it is that God actually is doing for us and how much He cares for us. This psalm is saying we can trust Him, that how He's leading us, even in the hardship, uh, we can know that we, verse 1, lack nothing. The Lord is our shepherd. Can we say that? Can you say that in your career when it's not going the way you thought it would go? When it's not panning out, you're not landing the job, or you're not getting the promotion you thought you would? Can you say that when you haven't, you know, found that special someone? Can you say that when your body isn't healing up? Can you say that when you're facing one hard thing after another? The psalmist is saying, if this is you, if you're feeling this, you can lift up your eyes, you can lift up your heart, you can lift up your soul and see that the shepherd is taking care of you. You lack nothing. He leads you. He refreshes you. He guides you. And then as if to make the the point as strong as he can and as eloquently as he can, again, I'm going to say it in the old King James, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, what, I, what I want to consider here is this thought is a continuation from what he had just been saying, what we had just been considering, how he leads us among, along the right paths with green pastures and, and quite wise. I used to think about these things as two different things. Okay, hey, here's, here's one, one path. It's good. I, I want to be on that path. Here's a path where, bummer, I don't want to be on the dark valleys and that sort of thing. I thought one of the two. But no, what the psalm is saying, if you look how, it, how the, the Scripture reads, is it's a continuation. One leads into the other. The Lord leads us on the right path, and that path will inevitably take us through dark valleys, even as it's all, uh, ultimately on, our way, on the way to the mountaintop. Uh, something I learned this week is something uh, first-century Christians or early readers of, the, of this text back in that society that day uh, would, wouldn't have failed to miss the connection here that we're talking about. Uh, for there was an annual grazing pattern back then uh, in, the, in the rolling hills of the, of the Holy Land whenever the seasons changed. So in the summer, when the, when the lower level uh, elevation grass was eaten up, was grazed up, the shepherds would then take their uh, flocks up the hills, up the mountain where the, the, 
the, the good grass was. But in order to get there in this rolling hills, they would have to fo- follow the contours of the valley, go through these dark valleys where predators lie, lay, and they would make their way up to the mountainside. That's how they got to that good, that good plan. It makes me think of, like, for instance, on the, on the I-5, if you ever driven from SoCal to NorCal or vice versa, you go through the grapevine. As a kid, I always wondered, why can't you just get to the summit, like, straight? But it's like, that's not how it works. You've got to weave your way through, and, and finally you'll get there, but you've got you to make your way through. Um, to get to the top, you have to go through the valley. So, if it's tough enough to make sheep lie down in green pastures, it's really tough. It's really tough when they're led through dangerous and scary valleys full of predators. And while, all the while, not understanding the only, it's their only way uh, for survival. But isn't this how God can work sometimes if you have a relationship with him? He takes us where we need to go and not where we want to go necessarily. He leads us to the right paths, the green pastures and the quiet waters, but also often a, uh, on a scary and dangerous path that makes us wonder what he's up to or if, even, or if he cares even for our well-being. Um, I can't take the time to tell this story. I will just give, share it to you briefly. But I, it, to me, this is a story of current, actually. It's, I am convinced that current exists precisely because there were dark valleys that we had to travel through to get here. Come to the, the luncheon. You'll hear more of the story. Um, but So I don't like the dark valleys part. I do like the current part. But even more, I like what God has been doing through current and allowing us just to watch and see him in action. See him show up. I mean, the story of current is God's been building his church and he's just allowed us to be a part of the ride. There's nowhere in this church journey that you could say, hey, it's because we did this, this, or that, that now, oh, here we are now. And it's all been, God's just been choosing to show up and we get to be a part of it. And it's just been a wonderfully amazing ride, seeing things that I'll, I'll call as, as spiritual fruit. But there's, there's valleys to get. I, I didn't like that, but if that's the okay, um, that's often how God, God works. Um, there's so much more we can look at this psalm. Oh, my goodness, there's so much more we can look at this psalm. We don't have time to go through it now. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Um, it's so good. But I do want to address um, one thought here, one, one soul-level objection that you may be feeling, may be wrestling through, and that is how can we trust that God is our shepherd? That sounds nice. We lack nothing, really. When it really comes down to it, I'm not sure I can cling to that. How can I know? This psalm says, you, can, you bet you can know. You can know stronger than you think you know. Wow, this is written so long ago. You bet you can know. If you look at verses 2 and 3, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. And here it is, for his name's sake. So again, I've memorized this, and for the, for the longest time, actually it was this week that this dawned on me, for the longest time I thought that this little phrase was kind of a throwaway phrase, it was kind of like the way for, for King David, the psalmist who wrote this, saying, and God does things for, that we would praise him, for his glory. And that's a big part of it. That's, that's what that phrase is saying. But you know what that phrase is also helping us understand? How we can know we can trust him no matter what. It's for his namesake that he leads us. If you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis 15. Do you remember that weird story with Abraham, the patriarch of the, of the people of God? God came to Abraham with a covenant relationship promise, a contract relationship promise for more colloquial language, a covenant relationship promise saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. That was the promise. And so Abraham, he heard that and he's like, 
hold on, how's that going to work? I'm already really up there in age. My wife's really up in their age. We don't have a kid. How's that going to work? And you're going to bless me, make me into a great nation, which was a part of the, the promise. What land are you talking about? And he had the audacity to say, God, I'm not sure it's going to work to God himself. If you're here, you know that God didn't flinch at that. God actually said, okay, I'll tell you why. I'll show you why you can trust me no matter what. And so he had Abraham, do you remember this weird, bizarre story to our 21st century years? He had Abraham cut up animals and place the carcasses on the side that they would walk through. Again, that's weird to us. It's only because we don't know the tradition back then. Today we sign contracts to kind of, you know, affirm a, a, a contract. But back then, they basically walked through these carcasses, and they said, okay, I'm affirming my part of the deal here, my part of this covenant, this relationship, and may it be to me like these dead animals, these cut-up pieces of animals, if I don't fulfill my part. That was the deal. So Abraham put the, the carcasses out, and he waited for God, presumably, to show up. But then the most amazing, unthinkable thing happened. Do you remember the story? God came, and he held Abraham down. He did not let Abraham walk through. Instead, he himself alone walked through. And we considered what that means. God was saying, look, I will be your God and you will be my people. And may it be like, for me, like these animals, if I don't up to uphold my part of the deal, if I'm not faithful to you, which is really kind of ridiculous. He's God. He's going to uphold his part of the deal. But the unthinkable thing is, and God in walking through alone and not letting Abraham walk through with himself was saying, and I will be faithful to you even if you're not faithful to me. And may it be to me like these animals cut up into pieces if even you are not faithful. And even that shows us the gospel. That shows us what actually the psalmist is saying here, that God was saying then, I'm going to uphold this relationship, this covenant, no matter what, no matter if you fail to love me, fail to live up to the people I've called you to be. And the psalmist is saying, we can trust that God's going to take care of us no matter what. No matter, even if we're the ones messing things up, he's leading us for his namesake. Because of his character, because of his word, because of his reputation is on the line. We can trust him even when we can't do our part, which praise God we can. That's the whole point of Christianity. That's the whole point of Jesus, that he is upholding it. We, we can not only trust God, but he's going to uphold his part, but we can trust God that he's going to help us even when we don't deserve to be helped. How did God do this? How did the great shepherd do this? Jesus came in John 10 and said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, became a sheep. He became a sheep, and he started telling stories. He, probably are familiar with some of the stories. Like he told a parable, like, and there's, like, there's these 100 sheep, and, and 99 were safe and fine, but one got lost. And so he went out, and he, the shepherd pursued that one sheep at great harm to himself, at great risk, to bring that sheep back into the fold, and it was wonderful. Here's the good shepherd telling a story of his love for us. In that same way, he loves us. He knows us, cares for us, pursues us if we would just receive him. How did he have to do that, though? If you think about the covenant, you think about all, what all this means. Jesus said, not only I am the good shepherd, but he finished it by saying, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The gospel is the, shepherd, the good shepherd not only came and became a sheep, he became ultimately the sacrificial lamb. And he brought us back to himself. Listen to how Peter, writing about this uh, years later, Peter was his main disciple, his main student, Jesus' main student. Uh, listen to how Peter, years later, reflecting all of this, 
describes the Lord, our shepherd, who humbled himself and became like a sheep, became the sacrificial lamb. Peter said this, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and deceit, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the ones who judges justly. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the good shepherd, came and trusted like a sheep the father as a sheep who could have said with every justification, I don't deserve this. Jesus didn't deserve any of it, and yet he went willingly, not even retaliating, suffering willingly so that he could bring us back into relationship. That's what Peter concludes here. He himself bore our sin on his body, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We can trust God. He will lead us for our good. He will lead us ultimately to a good place if we are in him because that's what his son enabled for us on the cross. By his wounds, you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus made a way back for us into his loving arms by laying down his life for us. He knows you by name, knows everything about you, cares for you, loves you, wants you to come home. And so, would you receive him today? Maybe today you've never heard the gospel news of Jesus, which literally gospel means good news of Jesus, that he laid down his life that you would have life in his name. The Bible says to all who believe in him, to all who receive him, he will give the right to become children of God. You can receive that today in your heart, and he will receive you into his family. And to those of you who have received him, you can trust him. You might be going through some stuff, but you can trust him. Here's what I love about all this. It's not just lofty saying, hey, we memorize these wonderful, beautiful, hey, self-empowerment words. That's nice. It's not really ultimately helpful. That's not what this is. And it's not, by the way, on the other side of things, God just saying, you better trust in me or suck it up. This whole thing is about Jesus having done what we can't do for ourselves so that we can trust him no matter what. God leading us because he's gone before us, which means if we think about us and as we, as we bring things together, uh, there's going to be really hard things in life. The Bible's not trying, you know, to, to step around that. Uh, the, the Bible's very real about that, but we can trust him because he's gone through the only valley that could have actually done us great harm, the valley of sin and death, that now when we have our faith in him, even actual death, which we all face, becomes only a valley of passing to the mountaintop. We read the last little bit of this psalm, and we'll close in prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray.